section thirteen of shirley by charlotte bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirteen further communications on business in shirley's nature prevailed at times an easy indolence there were periods when she took delight in perfect vacancy of hand and eye moments when her thoughts her simple existence the fact of the world being around and heaven above her seemed to yield her such fullness of happiness that she did not need to lift a finger to increase the joy often after an active morning she would spend a sunny afternoon in lying stirless on the turf at the foot of some tree of friendly umbrage no society did she need but that of caroline and it sufficed if she were within call no spectacle did she ask but that of the deep blue sky and such cloudlets as sailed afar and aloft across its span no sound but that of the bees hum the leaves whisper her sole book in such hours was the dim chronicle of memory or the sibyl page of anticipation from her young eyes fell on each volume a glorious light to read by round her lips at moments played a smile which revealed glimpses of the tale or prophecy it was not sad not dark fate had been benign to the blissful dreamer and promised to favour her yet again in her past were sweet passages in her future rosy hopes yet one day when caroline drew near to rouse her thinking she had lain long enough behold as she looked down shirley's cheek was wet as if with dew those fine eyes of hers shone humid and brimming shirley why do you cry asked caroline involuntarily laying stress on you miss keeldar smiled and turned her picturesque head towards the questioner because it pleases me mightily to cry she said my heart is both sad and glad but why you good patient child why do you not bear me company i only weep tears delightful and soon wiped away you might weep gall if you choose why should i weep gall mateless solitary bird was the only answer and are not you too mateless surely at heart no oh who nestles there surely but surely only laughed gaily at this question and alertly started up i have dreamed she said a mere day-dream certainly bright probably baseless miss hellstone was by this time free enough from illusions she took a sufficiently grave view of the future and fancied she knew pretty well how her own destiny and that of some others were tending yet old associations retained their influence over her and it was these and the power of habit which still frequently drew her of an evening to the field stile and the old thorn overlooking the hollow one night the night after the incident of the note she had been at her usual post watching for her beacon watching vainly that evening no lamp was lit she waited till the rising of certain constellations warned her 
of lateness and signed her away in passing field-head on a return its moonlight beauty attracted her glance and stayed her step an instant tree and hall rose peaceful under the night sky and clear full orb pearly paleness gilded the building mellow brown gloom bosomed it round shadows of deep green brooded above its oak-wreathed roof the broad pavement in front shone pale also it gleamed as if some spell had transformed the dark granite to glistering parian on the silvery space slept two sable shadows thrown sharply defined from two human figures these figures when first seen were motionless and mute presently they moved in harmonious step and spoke low in harmonious key earnest was the gaze that scrutinized them as they emerged from behind the trunk of the cedar is it mrs pryor and surely certainly it is surely who else has a shape so lithe and proud and graceful and her face too is visible her countenance careless and pensive amusing and mirthful and mocking and tender not fearing the dew she has not covered her head her curls are free they veil her neck and caress her shoulder with their tendril rings an ornament of gold gleams through the half-closed folds of the scarf she has wrapped across her bust and a large bright gem glitters on the white hand which confines it yes that is surely her companion then is of course mrs pryor yes if mrs pryor owns six feet of stature and if she has changed her decent widow's weeds for masculine disguise the figure walking at miss keeldar's side is a man a tall young stately man it is her tenant robert moore the pair speak softly their words are not distinguishable to remain a moment to gaze is not to be an eavesdropper and as the moon shines so clearly and their countenances are so distinctly apparent who can resist the attraction of such interest caroline it seems cannot for she lingers there was a time when on summer nights moore had been wont to walk with his cousin as he was now walking with the heiress often had she gone up the hollow with him after sunset to scent the freshness of the earth where a growth of fragrant herbage carpeted a certain narrow terrace edging a deep ravine from whose rifted gloom was heard a sound like the spirit of the lonely watercourse moaning amongst its wet stones and between its weedy banks and under its dark bower of alders but i used to be closer to him thought caroline he felt no obligation to treat me with homage i needed only kindness he used to hold my hand he does not touch hers and yet surely is not proud where she loves there is no haughtiness in her aspect now only a little in her port what is natural too and inseparable from her what she retains in her most careless as in her most guarded moments robert must think as i think that he is at this instant looking down on a fine face and he must think it 
with a man's brain not with mine she has such generous yet soft fire in her eyes she smiles what makes her smile so sweet i saw that robert felt its beauty and he must have felt it with his man's heart not with my dim woman's perceptions they look to me like two great happy spirits yonder silvered pavement reminds me of that white shore we believe to be beyond the death flood they have reached it they walk there united and what am i standing here in shadow shrinking into concealment my mind darker than my hiding-place i am one of this world no spirit a poor doomed mortal who asks in ignorance and hopelessness wherefore she was born to what end she lives whose mind forever runs on the question how she shall at last encounter and by whom be sustained through death this is the worst passage i have come to yet yet i was quite prepared for it i gave robert up and gave him up to shirley the first day i heard she was come the first moment i saw her rich youthful and lovely she has him now he is her lover she is his darling she will be far more his darling yet when they are married the more robert knows of shirley the more his soul will cleave to her they will both be happy and i do not grudge them their bliss but i groan under my own misery some of my suffering is very acute truly i ought not to have been born they should have smothered me at the first cry here shirley stepping aside to gather a dewy flower she and her companion turned into a path that lay nearer the gate some of their conversation became audible caroline would not stay to listen she passed away noiselessly and the moonlight kissed the wall which her shadow had dimmed the reader is privileged to remain and try what he can make of the discourse i cannot conceive why nature did not give you a bulldog's head for you have a bulldog's tenacity said shirley not a flattering idea am i so ignoble and something also you have of the same animal silent ways of going about its work you give no warning you come noiselessly behind seize fast and hold on this is guesswork you have witnessed no such feat on my part in your presence i have been no bulldog your very silence indicates your race how little you talk in general yet how deeply you scheme you are far-seeing you are calculating i know the ways of these people i have gathered information of their intentions my note last night informed you that barraclough's trial had ended in his conviction and sentence to transportation his associates will plot vengeance i shall lay my plans so as to counteract or at least be prepared for theirs that is all having now given you as clear an explanation as i can am i to understand that for what i propose doing i have your approbation i shall stand by you so long as you remain on the defensive yes good without any aid even opposed or disapproved by you i believe i should have acted precisely as i now intend to act but in another spirit i now feel satisfied on the whole i relish the position i dare say you do that is evident you relish the work which lies before you still better than you would relish the execution of a government order for army cloth 
i certainly feel it congenial so would old hellstone it is true there is a shade of difference in your motives many shades perhaps shall i speak to mr hellstone i will if you like act as you please your judgment miss kildar will guide you accurately i could rely on it myself in a more difficult crisis but i should inform you mr hellstone is somewhat prejudiced against me at present i am aware i have heard all about your differences depend upon it they will melt away he cannot resist the temptation of an alliance under present circumstances i shall be glad to have him he is of true metal i think so also an old blade and rusty somewhat but the edge and temper still excellent well you shall have him mr moore that is if i can win him whom can you not win perhaps not the rector but i will make the effort effort he will yield for a word a smile by no means it will cost me several cups of tea some toasting cake and an ample measure of remonstrances expostulations and persuasions it grows rather chill i perceive you shiver am i acting wrongly to detain you here yet it is so calm i even feel it warm and society such as yours is a pleasure to me so rare if you were wrapped in a thicker shawl i might stay longer and forget how late it is which would chagrin mrs pryor we keep early and regular hours at field head mr moore and so i am sure does your sister at the cottage yes but hortense and i have an understanding the most convenient in the world that we shall each do as we please how do you please to do three nights in the week i sleep in the mill but i require little rest and when it is moonlight and mild i often haunt the hollow till daybreak when i was a very little girl mr moore my nurse used to tell me tales of fairies being seen in that hollow that was before my father built the mill when it was a perfectly solitary ravine you will be falling under enchantment i fear it is done said moore in a low voice but there are worse things than fairies to be guarded against pursued miss kildar things more perilous he subjoined far more so for instance how would you like to meet michael hartley that mad calvinist and jacobin weaver they say he is addicted to poaching and often goes abroad at night with his gun i've already had the luck to meet him we held a long argument together one night a strange little incident it was i liked it liked it admire your taste michael is not sane where did you meet him in the deepest shadiest spot in the glen where the water runs low under brushwood we sat down near that plank bridge it was moonlight but clouded and very windy we had a talk on politics and religion i think the moon was at the full and michael was as near crazed as possible he uttered strange blasphemy in his antinomian fashion excuse me but i think you must have been nearly as mad as he to sit listening to him there is a wild interest in his ravings the man would be half a poet if he were not wholly a maniac and perhaps a prophet if he were not a profligate he solemnly informed me that hell was foreordained my inevitable portion that he read the mark of the beast on my brow that i had been an outcast from the beginning god's vengeance he said was preparing for me and affirmed that in a vision of the night he had beheld the manner and the instrument of my doom i wanted to know further but he left me with these words the end is not yet 
have you ever seen him since about a month afterwards in returning from market i encountered him and moses bearclough both in an advanced stage of inebriation they were praying in frantic sort at the roadside they accosted me as satan bid me avaunt and clamoured to be delivered from temptation again but a few days ago michael took the trouble of appearing at the counting-house door hatless in his shirt-sleeves his coat and castor having been detained at the public-house in pledge he delivered himself of the comfortable message that he could wish mr moore to set his house in order as his soul was likely shortly to be required of him do you make light of these things the poor man had been drinking for weeks and was in a state bordering on delirium tremens what then he is more likely to attempt the fulfilment of his own prophecies it would not do to permit incidents of this sort to affect one's nerves mr moore go home so soon pass straight down the fields not round by the lade and plantations it is early yet it is late for my part i am going in will you promise me not to wander in the hollow to-night if you wish it i do wish it may i ask whether you consider life valueless by no means on the contrary of late i regard my life as invaluable of late existence is neither aimless nor hopeless to me now and it was both three months ago i was then drowning and rather wished the operation over all at once a hand was stretched to me such a delicate hand i scarcely dared trust it its strength however has rescued me from ruin are you really rescued for the time your assistance has given me another chance live to make the best of it don't offer yourself as a target to michael hartley and good-night miss hellstone was under a promise to spend the evening of the next day at fieldhead she kept her promise some gloomy hours had she spent in the interval most of the time had been passed shut up in her own apartment only issuing from it indeed to join her uncle at meals and anticipating inquiries from fanny by telling her that she was busy altering a dress and preferred sewing upstairs to avoid interruption she did so she plied her needle continuously ceaselessly but her brain worked faster than her fingers again and more intensely than ever she desired a fixed occupation no matter how onerous how irksome her uncle must be once more entreated but first she would consult mrs pryor her head laboured to frame projects as diligently as her hands to plait and stitch the thin texture of the muslin summer dress spread on the little white couch at the foot of which she sat now and then while thus doubly occupied a tear would fill her eyes and fall on her busy hands but this sign of emotion was rare and quickly effaced the sharp pang passed the dimness cleared from her vision she would rethread her needle rearrange tuck and trimming and work on late in the afternoon she dressed herself she reached fieldhead and appeared in the oak parlour just as tea was brought in shirley asked her why she came so late because i have been making my dress said she these fine sunny days began to make me ashamed of my winter merinos so i have furbished up a lighter garment in which you look as i like to see you said shirley you are a lady-like little person caroline is she not mrs pryor mrs pryor never paid compliments and seldom indulged in remarks favourable or otherwise on personal appearance on the present occasion she only swept caroline's curls 
from her cheek as she took a seat near her caressed the oval outline and observed you get somewhat thin my love and somewhat pale do you sleep well your eyes have a languid look and she gazed at her anxiously i sometimes dream melancholy dreams answered caroline and if i lie awake for an hour or two in the night i am continually thinking of the rectory as a dreary old place you know it is very near the churchyard the back part of the house is extremely ancient and it is said that the alkitchens there were once enclosed in the churchyard and that there are graves under them i rather long to leave the rectory my dear you are surely not superstitious no mrs pryor but i think i grow what is called nervous i see things under a darker aspect than i used to do i have fears i never used to have not of ghosts but of omens and disastrous events and i have an inexpressible weight on my mind which i would give the world to shake off and i cannot do it strange cried shirley i never feel so mrs pryor said nothing fine weather pleasant days pleasant scenes are powerless to give me pleasure continued caroline calm evenings are not calm to me moonlight which i used to think mild now only looks mournful is this weakness of mine mrs pryor or what is it i cannot help it i often struggle against it i reason but reason and effort make no difference you should take more exercise said mrs pryor exercise i exercise sufficiently i exercise till i am ready to drop my dear you should go from home mrs pryor i should like to go from home but not on any purposeless excursion or visit i wish to be a governess as you have been it would oblige me greatly if you would speak to my uncle on the subject nonsense broke in shirley what an idea be a governess better be a slave at once where is the necessity of it why should you dream of such a painful step my dear said mrs pryor you are very young to be a governess and not sufficiently robust the duties a governess undertakes are often severe and i believe i want severe duties to occupy me occupy you cried shirley when are you idle i never saw a more industrious girl than you you are always at work come she continued come and sit by my side and take some tea to refresh you you don't care much for my friendship then that you wish to leave me indeed i do shirley and i don't wish to leave you i shall never find another friend so dear at which words miss keeldar put her hand into caroline's with an impulsively affectionate movement which was well seconded by the expression of her face if you think so you'd better make much of me she said and not run away from me i hate to part with those to whom i am become attached mrs pryor there sometimes talks of leaving me and says i might make a more advantageous connection than herself i should as soon think of exchanging an old-fashioned mother for something modish and stylish as for you why i began to flatter myself we were thoroughly friends that you like shirley almost as well as shirley likes you and she does not stint her regard i do like shirley i like her more and more every day but that does not make me strong or happy and would it make you strong or happy to go and live as a dependent amongst utter strangers it would not and the experiment must not be tried i tell you it would fail it is not in your nature to bear the desolate life governesses generally lead you would fall ill i won't hear of it and miss Kildo paused having uttered this prohibition very decidedly soon she recommenced still looking somewhat courroucée why it is my daily pleasure now to look out 
for the little cottage bonnet and the silk scarf glancing through the trees in the lane and to know that my quiet shrewd thoughtful companion and monitress is coming back to me that i shall have her sitting in the room to look at to talk to or to let alone as she and i please this may be a selfish sort of language i know it is but it is the language which naturally rises to my lips therefore i utter it i would write to you surely and what are letters only a sort of pis aller drink some tea caroline eat something you eat nothing laugh and be cheerful and stay at home miss hellstone shook her head and sighed she felt what difficulties she would have to persuade any one to assist or sanction her in making that change in her life which she believed desirable might she only follow her own judgment she thought she should be able to find perhaps a harsh but an effectual cure for her sufferings but this judgment founded on circumstances she could fully explain to none least of all to shirley seemed in all eyes but her own incomprehensible and fantastic and was opposed accordingly there really was no present pecuniary need for her to leave a comfortable home and take a situation and there was every probability that her uncle might in some way permanently provide for her so her friends thought and as far as their lights enabled them to see they reasoned correctly but of caroline's strange sufferings which she desired so eagerly to overcome or escape they had no idea of her racked nights and dismal days no suspicion it was at once impossible and hopeless to explain to wait and endure was her only plan many that want food and clothing have cheerier lives and brighter prospects than she had many harassed by poverty are in a strait less afflictive now is your mind quieted inquired shirley will you consent to stay at home i shall not leave it against the approbation of my friends was the reply but i think in time they will be obliged to think as i do during this conversation mrs pryor looked far from easy her extreme habitual reserve would rarely permit her to talk freely or to interrogate others closely she could think a multitude of questions she never ventured to put give advice in her mind which her tongue never delivered had she been alone with caroline she might possibly have said something to the point miss keeldar's presence accustomed as she was to it sealed her lips now as on a thousand other occasions inexplicable nervous scruples kept her back from interfering she merely showed her concern for miss hellstone in an indirect way by asking her if the fire made her too warm placing a screen between her chair and the hearth closing a window whence she imagined a draught proceeded and often and restlessly glancing at her shirley resumed having destroyed your plans she said which i hope i have done i shall construct a new one of my own every summer i make an excursion this season i propose spending two months either at the scotch locks or the english lakes that is i shall go there provided you consent to accompany me if you refuse i shall not stir a foot you are very good surely i would be very good if you would let me i have every disposition to be good it is my misfortune and habit i know to think of myself paramount to anybody else but who is not like me in that respect however when captain keeldar 
is made comfortable accommodated with all he wants including a sensible genial comrade it gives him a thorough pleasure to devote his spare efforts to making that comrade happy and should we not be happy caroline in the highlands we will go to the highlands we will if you can bear a sea voyage go to the isles the hebrides the shetland the orkney islands would you not like that i see you would mrs pryor i call you to witness her face is all sunshine at the bare mention of it i should like it much returned caroline to whom indeed the notion of such a tour was not only pleasant but gloriously reviving shirley rubbed her hands come i can bestow a benefit she exclaimed i can do a good deed with my cash my thousand a year is not merely a matter of dirty bank-notes and jaundiced guineas let me speak respectfully of both though for i adore them but it may be health to the drooping strength to the weak consolation to the sad i was determined to make something of it better than a fine old house to live in than satin gowns to wear better than deference from acquaintance and homage from the poor here is to begin this summer caroline mrs pryor and i go out into the north atlantic beyond the shetland perhaps to the faroe isles we will see seals in sotero and doubtless mermaids in stromo caroline is laughing mrs pryor i made her laugh i have done her good i shall like to go surely again said miss hellstone i long to hear the sound of waves ocean waves and to see them as i have imagined them in dreams like tossing banks of green light strewed with vanishing and reappearing wreaths of foam whiter than lilies i shall delight to pass the shores of those lone rock islets where the sea-birds live and breed unmolested we shall be on the track of the old scandinavians of the norsemen we shall almost see the shores of norway this is a very vague delight that i feel communicated by your proposal but it is a delight will you think of fitful head now when you lie awake at night of gulls shrieking round it and waves tumbling in upon it rather than of the graves under the rectory back kitchen i will try and instead of musing about remnants of shrouds and fragments of coffins and human bones and mould i will fancy seals lying in the sunshine on solitary shores where neither fisherman nor hunter ever come of rock crevices full of pearly eggs bedded in seaweed of unscared birds covering white sands and happy flocks and what will become of that inexpressible weight you said you had on your mind i will try to forget it in speculation on the sway of the whole great deep above a herd of whales rushing through the livid and liquid thunder down from the frozen zone a hundred of them perhaps wallowing flashing rolling in the wake of a patriarch bull huge enough to have been spawned before the flood such a creature as poor smart had in his mind when he said strong against tides the enormous whale emerges as he goes i hope our bark will meet with no such shoal or herd as you term it caroline i suppose you fancy the sea mammoths pasturing about the basis of the everlasting hills devouring strange provender in the vast valleys through and above which sea billows roll i should not like to be capsized by the patriarch bull i suppose you expect to see mermaids surely one of them at any rate i do not bargain for less and she is to appear in some such fashion as this 
i am to be walking by myself on deck rather late of an august evening watching and being watched by a full harvest moon something is to rise white on the surface of the sea over which that moon mounts silent and hangs glorious the object glitters and sinks it rises again i think i hear it cry with an articulate voice i call you up from the cabin i show you an image fair as alabaster emerging from the dim wave we both see the long hair the lifted and foam-white arm the oval mirror brilliant as a star it glides nearer a human face is plainly visible a face in the style of yours whose straight pure excuse the word it is appropriate whose straight pure lineaments paleness does not disfigure it looks at us but not with your eyes i see a preternatural lure in its wily glance it beckons were we men we should spring at the sign the cold billow would be dared for the sake of the colder enchantress being women we stand safe though not dreadless she comprehends our unmoved gaze she feels herself powerless anger crosses her front she cannot charm but she will appall us she rises high and glides all revealed on the dark wave ridge temptress terror monstrous likeness of ourselves are you not glad caroline when at last and with a wild shriek she dives but surely she is not like us we are neither temptresses nor terrors nor monsters some of our kind it is said are all three there are men who ascribe to woman in general such attributes my dears here interrupted mrs pryor does it not strike you that your conversation for the last ten minutes has been rather fanciful but there is no harm in our fancies is there ma'am we are aware that mermaids do not exist why speak of them as if they did how can you find interest in speaking of a non-entity i don't know said shirley my dear i think there is an arrival i heard a step in the lane while you were talking and is not that the garden gate which creaks shirley stepped to the window yes there is some one said she turning quietly away and as she resumed her seat a sensitive flush animated her face while a trembling ray at once kindled and softened her eye she raised her hand to her chin cast her gaze down and seemed to think as she waited the servant announced mr moore and shirley turned round when mr moore appeared at the door his figure seemed very tall as he entered and stood in contrast with the three ladies none of whom could boast a stature much beyond the average he was looking well better than he had been known to look for the past twelve months a sort of renewed youth glowed in his eye and colour and an invigorated hope and settled purpose sustained his bearing firmness his countenance still indicated but not austerity it looked as cheerful as it was earnest i am just returned from stilbro he said to miss keeldar as he greeted her and i thought i would call to impart to you the result of my mission you did right enough to keep me in suspense she said and your visit is well timed sit down we have not finished tea are you english enough to relish tea or do you faithfully adhere to coffee more accepted tea i am learning to be a naturalized englishman said he my foreign habits are leaving me one by one and now he paid his respects to mrs pryor and paid them well with a grave modesty that became his age compared with hers then he looked at caroline not however for the first time 
his glance had fallen upon her before he bent towards her as she sat gave her his hand and asked her how she was the light from the window did not fall upon miss hellstone her back was turned towards it a quiet though rather low reply a still demeanour and the friendly protection of early twilight kept out of view each traitorous symptom none could affirm that she had trembled or blushed that her heart had quaked or her nerves thrilled none could prove emotion a greeting showing less effusion was never interchanged moore took the empty chair near her opposite miss keeldar he had placed himself well his neighbour screened by the very closeness of his visnage from his scrutiny and sheltered further by the dusk which deepened each moment soon regained not merely seeming but real mastery of the feelings which had started into insurrection at the first announcement of his name he addressed his conversation to miss keeldar i went to the barracks he said and had an interview with colonel ride he approved my plans and promised the aid i wanted indeed he offered a more numerous force than i require half a dozen will suffice i don't intend to be swamped by redcoats they are needed for appearance rather than anything else my main reliance is on my own civilians and on their captain interposed shirley what captain keeldar inquired moore slightly smiling and not lifting his eyes the tone of raillery in which he said this was very respectful and suppressed no returned shirley answering the smile captain gerard moore who trusts much to the prowess of his own right arm i believe furnished with his counting-house ruler added moore resuming his usual gravity he went on i received by this evening post a note from the home secretary in answer to mine it appears they are uneasy at the state of matters here in the north they especially condemn the supineness and pusillanimity of the mill-owners they say as i have always said that inaction under present circumstances is criminal and that cowardice is cruelty since both can only encourage disorder and lead finally to sanguinary outbreaks there is the note i brought it for your perusal and there is a batch of newspapers containing further accounts of proceedings in nottingham manchester and elsewhere he produced letters and journals and laid them before miss keeldar while she perused them he took his tea quietly but though his tongue was still his observant faculties seemed by no means off duty mrs pryor sitting in the background did not come within the range of his glance but the two younger ladies had the full benefit thereof miss keeldar placed directly opposite was seen without effort she was the object his eyes when lifted naturally met first and as what remained of daylight the gilding of the west was upon her her shape rose in relief from the dark panelling behind shirley's clear cheek was tinted yet with the colour which had risen into it a few minutes since the dark lashes of her eyes looking down as she read the dusk yet delicate line of her eyebrows the almost sable gloss of her curls made her heightened complexion look fine as the bloom of a red wild flower by contrast there was natural grace in her attitude and there was artistic effect in the ample and shining folds of her silk dress an attire simply fashioned but almost splendid from the shifting brightness of its dye warp and woof being of tints deep and changing as the hue on a pheasant's neck a glancing bracelet on her arm produced the contrast of gold and ivory there was something brilliant in the whole picture it is to be supposed that moore thought so as his eye dwelt long on it but he seldom permitted his feelings or his opinions to exhibit themselves in his face his temperament boasted a certain amount of phlegm 
and he preferred an undemonstrative not ungentle but serious aspect to any other he could not by looking straight before him see caroline as she was close at his side it was necessary therefore to manoeuvre a little to get her well within the range of his observation he leaned back in his chair and looked down on her in miss hellstone neither he nor any one else could discover brilliancy sitting in the shade without flowers or ornaments her attire the modest muslin dress colourless but for its narrow stripe of pale azure her complexion unflushed unexcited the very brownness of her hair and eyes invisible by this faint light she was compared with the heiress as a graceful pencil sketch compared with a vivid painting since robert had seen her last a great change had been wrought in her whether he perceived it might not be ascertained he said nothing to that effect how is hortense asked caroline softly very well but she complains of being unemployed she misses you tell her that i miss her and that i write and read a portion of french every day she will ask if you sent your love she is always particular on that point you know she likes attention my best love my very best and say to her that whenever she has time to write me a little note i should be glad to hear from her what if i forget i am not the surest messenger of compliments no don't forget robert it is no compliment it is in good earnest and must therefore be delivered punctually if you please hortense will be ready to shed tears she is tender-hearted on the subject of her pupil yet she reproaches you sometimes for obeying your uncle's injunctions too literally affection like love will be unjust now and then and caroline made no answer to this observation for indeed her heart was troubled and to her eyes she would have raised her handkerchief if she had dared if she had dared too she would have declared how the very flowers in the garden of hollow's cottage were dear to her how the little parlour of that house was her earthly paradise how she longed to return to it as much almost as the first woman in her exile must have longed to revisit eden not daring however to say these things she held her peace she sat quiet at robert's side waiting for him to say something more it was long since this proximity had been hers long since his voice had addressed her could she with any show of probability even a possibility have imagined that the meeting gave him pleasure to her it would have given deep bliss yet even in doubt that it pleased and dread that it might annoy him she received the boon of the meeting as an imprisoned bird with the admission of sunshine to its cage it was of no use arguing contending against the sense of present happiness to be near robert was to be revived miss keeldar laid down the papers and are you glad or sad for all these menacing tidings she inquired of her tenant not precisely either but i certainly am instructed i see that our only plan is to be firm i see that efficient preparation and a resolute attitude are the best means of averting bloodshed he then inquired if she had observed some particular paragraph to which she replied in the negative and he rose to show it to her he continued the conversation standing before her from the tenor of what he said it appeared evident that they both apprehended disturbances in the neighbourhood of briarfield though in what form they expected them to break out was not specified neither caroline nor mrs pryor asked questions the subject did not appear to be regarded as one ripe for free discussion therefore the lady and her tenant were suffered to keep details to themselves unimportuned by the curiosity of their listeners miss keeldar in speaking to mr moore took a tone at once 
animated and dignified confidential and self-respecting when however the candles were brought in and the fire was stirred up in the fullness of light thus produced rendered the expression of her countenance legible you could see that she was all interest life and earnestness there was nothing coquettish in her demeanour whatever she felt for more she felt it seriously and serious too were his feelings and settled were his views apparently for he made no petty effort to attract dazzle or impress he contrived notwithstanding to command a little because the deeper voice however mildly modulated the somewhat harder mind now and then though involuntarily and unintentionally bore down by some peremptory phrase or tone the mellow accents and susceptible if high nature of shirley miss gildar looked happy in conversing with him and her joy seemed twofold a joy of the past and present of memory and of hope what i have just said are caroline's ideas of the pair she felt what has just been described and thus feeling she tried not to suffer but suffered sharply nevertheless she suffered indeed miserably a few minutes before her famished heart had tasted a drop and crumb of nourishment that if freely given would have brought back abundance of life where life was failing but the generous feast was snatched from her spread before another and she remained but a bystander at the banquet the clock struck nine it was caroline's time for going home she gathered up her work put the embroidery the scissors the thimble into her bag she bade mrs pryor a quiet good-night receiving from that lady a warmer pressure of the hand than usual she stepped up to miss keeldar good-night shirley shirley started up what so soon are you going already it is past nine i never heard the clock you will come again to-morrow and you will be happy to-night will you not remember our plans yes said caroline i have not forgotten her mind misgave her that neither those plans nor any other could permanently restore her mental tranquillity she turned to robert who stood close behind her as he looked up the light of the candles on the mantelpiece fell full on her face all its paleness all its change all its forlorn meaning were clearly revealed robert had good eyes and might have seen it if he would whether he did see it nothing indicated good-night she said shaking like a leaf offering her thin hand hastily anxious to part from him quickly you're going home he asked not touching her hand yes is fanny come for you yes i may as well accompany you a step of the way not up to the rectory though lest my old friend hellstone should shoot me from the window he laughed and took his hat caroline spoke of unnecessary trouble he told her to put on her bonnet and shawl she was quickly ready and they were soon both in the open air moore drew her hand under his arm just in his old manner that manner which she ever felt to be so kind you may run on fanny he said to the housemaid we shall overtake you and when the girl had got a little in advance he enclosed caroline's hand in his and said he was glad to find she was a familiar guest at fieldhead he hoped her intimacy with miss gildar would continue such society would be both pleasant and improving caroline replied that she liked shirley and there is no doubt the liking is mutual said moore if she professes friendship be certain she is sincere she cannot feign she scorns hypocrisy and caroline are we never to see you at hollow's cottage again i suppose not unless my uncle should change his mind are you much alone now yes a good deal i have little pleasure in any society but miss gildar's have you been quite well lately quite you must take care of yourself be sure not to neglect exercise do you know i fancied you somewhat altered a little fallen away and pale is your uncle kind to you yes he is just as he always is not too tender that is to say not too protective and attentive 
and what ails you then tell me lena nothing robert but her voice faltered that is to say nothing that you will tell me i am not to be taken into confidence separation is then quite to estrange us is it i do not know sometimes i almost fear it is but it ought not to have that effect should old acquaintance be forgot and days old lang syne robert i don't forget it is two months i should think caroline since you were at the cottage since i was within it yes have you ever passed that way in your walk i have come to the top of the field sometimes of an evening and looked down once i saw hortense in the garden watering her flowers and i know at what time you light your lamp in the counting-house i have waited for it to shine out now and then and i have seen you bend between it and the window i knew it was you i could almost trace the outline of your form i wonder i never encountered you i occasionally walked to the top of the hollows fields after sunset i know you do i had almost spoken to you one night you passed so near me did i i passed near you and did not see you was i alone i saw you twice and neither time were you alone who was my companion probably nothing but joe scott or my own shadow by moonlight no neither joe scott nor your shadow robert the first time you were with mr york and the second time what you call your shadow was a shape with a white forehead and dark curls and a sparkling necklace round its neck but i only just got a glimpse of you and that fairy shadow i did not wait to hear you converse it appears you walk invisible i noticed a ring on your hand this evening can it be the ring of gyges henceforth when sitting in the counting-house by myself perhaps at dead of night i shall permit myself to imagine that caroline may be leaning over my shoulder reading with me from the same book or sitting at my side engaged in her own particular task and now and then raising her unseen eyes to my face to read there my thoughts you need fear no such infliction i do not come near you i only stand afar off watching what may become of you when i walk along the hedgerows in the evening after the mill is shut or at night when i take the watchman's place i shall fancy the flutter of every little bird over its nest the rustle of every leaf a movement made by you tree shadows will take your shape in the white sprays of hawthorne i shall imagine glimpses of you lena you will haunt me i will never be where you would not wish me to be nor see nor hear what you would wish unseen and unheard i shall see you in my very mill in broad daylight indeed i have seen you there once but a week ago i was standing at the top of one of my long rooms girls were working at the other end and amongst half a dozen of them moving to and fro i seemed to see a figure resembling yours it was some effect of doubtful light or shade or of dazzling sunbeam i walked up to this group what i saw it had glided away i found myself between two buxom lasses and pinafores i shall not follow you into your mill robert unless you call me there nor is that the only occasion on which imagination has played me a trick one night when i came home late from market i walked into the cottage parlour thinking to find hortense but instead of her i thought i found you there was no candle in the room my sister had taken the light upstairs with her the window-blind was not drawn and broad moonbeams poured through the panes there you were lena at the casement shrinking a little to one side in an attitude not unusual with you you were dressed in white as i have seen you dressed at an evening party for half a second your fresh living face seemed turned towards me looking at me for half a second my idea was to go and take your hand to chide you for your long absence and welcome your present visit two steps forward broke the spell the drapery of the dress changed outline the tints of the complexion dissolved and were formless positively as i reached the spot there was nothing left but the sweep of a white muslin curtain 
and a balsam plant in a flower-pot covered with a flush of bloom sick transit etc it was not my wraith then i almost thought it was no only gauze crockery and pink blossom a sample of earthly illusions i wonder you have time for such illusions occupied as your mind must be so do i but i find in myself lena two natures one for the world and business and one for home and leisure jayward moore is a hard dog brought up to mill and market the person you call your cousin robert is sometimes a dreamer who lives elsewhere than in cloth hall and counting-house your two natures agree with you i think you are looking in good spirits and health you have quite lost that harassed air which it often pained one to see in your face a few months ago do you observe that certainly i am disentangled of some difficulties i have got clear of some shoals and have more sea-room and with a fair wind you may now hope to make a prosperous voyage i may hope it yes but hope is deceptive there is no controlling wind or wave gusts and swells perpetually trouble the mariner's course he dare not dismiss from his mind the expectation of tempest but you are ready for a breeze you are a good seaman an able commander you are a skilful pilot robert you will weather the storm my kinswoman always thinks the best of me but i will take her words for a propitious omen i will consider that in meeting her to-night i met with one of those birds whose appearance is to the sailor the harbinger of good luck a poor harbinger of good luck is she who can do nothing who has no power i feel my incapacity it is no use saying i have the will to serve you when i cannot prove it yet i have that will i wish you success i wish you high fortune and true happiness when did you ever wish me anything else what is fanny waiting for i told her to walk on oh we have reached the churchyard then we are to part here i suppose we might have sat a few minutes in the church porch if the girl had not been with us it is so fine a night so summer mild and still i have no particular wish to return yet to the hollow but we cannot sit in the porch now robert caroline said this because moore was turning her round towards it perhaps not but tell fanny to go in say we are coming a few minutes will make no difference the church clock struck ten my uncle will be coming out to take his usual sentinel round and he always surveys the church and churchyard and if he does if it were not for fanny who knows we were here i should find pleasure in dodging and eluding him we could be under the east window when he is at the porch as he came round to the north side we could wheel off to the south we might at a pinch hide behind some of the monuments that tall erection of the winds would screen us completely robert what good spirits you have go go added caroline hastily i hear the front door i don't want to go on the contrary i want to stay you know my uncle will be terribly angry he forbade me to see you because you are a jacobin a queer jacobin go robert he is coming i hear him call diable it is strange what a pertinacious wish i feel to stay you remember what he did to fanny's began caroline and stopped abruptly short sweetheart was the word that ought to have followed but she could not utter it it seemed calculated to suggest ideas she had no intention to suggest ideas delusive and disturbing moore was less scrupulous fanny's sweetheart he said at once he gave him a shower bath under the pump did he not he'd do as much for me i dare say with pleasure i should like to provoke the old turk not however against you but he would make a distinction between a cousin and a lover would he not oh he would not think of you in that way of course not his quarrel with you is entirely political yet i should not like the breach to be widened and he is so testy here he is at the garden gate for your own sake and mine robert go the beseeching words were aided by a beseeching gesture and a more beseeching look 
more covered her clasped hands an instant with his answered her upward by a downward gaze said good-night and went caroline was in a moment at the kitchen door behind fanny the shadow of the shovel hat at that very instant fell on a moonlit tomb the rector emerged erect as a cane from his garden and proceeded in slow march his hands behind him down the cemetery moore was almost caught he had to dodge after all to coast round the church and finally to bend his tall form behind the wind's ambitious monument there he was forced to hide full ten minutes kneeling with one knee on the turf his hat off his curls bare to the dew his dark eyes shining and his lips parted with inward laughter at his position for the rector meantime stood coolly star-gazing and taking snuff within three feet of him it happened however that mr Halstone had no suspicion whatever on his mind for being usually but vaguely informed of his niece's movements not thinking it worth while to follow them closely he was not aware that she had been out at all that day and imagined her then occupied with book or work in her chamber where indeed she was by this time though not absorbed in the tranquil employment he ascribed to her but standing at her window with fast throbbing heart peeping anxiously from behind the blind watching for her uncle to re-enter and her cousin to escape and at last she was gratified she heard mr hellstone come in she saw robert stride the tombs and vault the wall she then went down to prayers when she returned to her chamber it was to meet the memory of robert slumber's visitation was long averted long she sat at her lattice long gazed down on the old garden and older church on the tombs laid out all grey and calm and clear in moonlight she followed the steps of the night on its pathway of stars far into the we sma hours and yon the twal she was with more in spirit the whole time she was at his side she heard his voice she gave her hand into his hand it rested warm in his fingers when the church clock struck when any other sound stirred when a little mouse familiar to her chamber an intruder for which she would never permit fanny to lay a trap came rattling amongst the links of her locket chain her one ring and another trinket or two on the toilet table to nibble a bit of biscuit laid ready for it she looked up recalled momentarily to the reel then she said half aloud as if deprecating the accusation of some unseen and unheard monitor i am not cherishing love dreams i am only thinking because i cannot sleep of course i know he will merit surely with returning silence with a lull of the chime and the retreat of her small untamed and unknown protege she still resumed the dream nestling to the vision side listening to conversing with it it paled at last as dawn approached the setting stars and breaking day dimmed the creation of fancy the wakened song of birds hushed her whispers the tale full of fire quick with interest borne away by the morning wind became a vague murmur the shape that seen in a moonbeam lived had a pulse had movement wore health's glow and youth's freshness turned cold and ghostly gray confronted with the red of sunrise it wasted she was left solitary at last she crept to her couch chill and dejected End of chapter 13